All right, well, our passage this morning comes from the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet Micah, and it's only one verse, Micah 6, verse 8, but it's a powerful verse. It reveals to us what God requires of us, that we do justice. How are you at doing justice? Perhaps you scratch your head at the question. Perhaps you are a little concerned where this sermon may be going. I assure you that we're, what we're going to cover here is good, but it's also hard and convicting. God has saved us for justice. Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word towards us. Uh, it is so important for us to study this as we will come to see um, who you are and who we are being remade in to be through your son Jesus by the work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, attend to our hearts right now. Help us to receive um, from heaven uh, the words that we need for our lives here on earth, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be studying justice. And depending upon your political stripes, when you hear the word justice, you will either think of laws and courtrooms, which would be Republican stripes, or you think of social justice, which would be Democrat stripes. What I hope that we come to see this morning is that the Bible is not meant to confirm your political leanings. In fact, if you study your Bible well, you'll be convicted of how foolishly you've handled or used the Bible in the past to support your political leanings. And when the Bible talks about social justice, like helping the poor, caring for the vulnerable, people tend to think that sounds liberal. But also when the Bible talks of things about gender and family and marriage and sex, then, well, that all sounds pretty conservative. And so what's the point? I'd like us to see that when you come to the Bible, you need to shake your mind free of the human political categories of liberal and conservative. The Bible just doesn't fit into them. You should not read the Bible through these lenses. Instead, when you open up your eyes to see what God is saying in Scripture, you see that he calls us to live quite differently than perhaps we think. When God says what you should be living like, it's often different from what everybody else tells you. So this morning, what concerns us is that this God, this living God, this God of the Bible tells us that we should Live a life of justice. That's what we're going to look at. First, we're going to look at the goodness of justice, then the reflection of justice, and then the power for justice. The goodness, the reflection, and the power. First, the goodness of justice. We need to see this morning that to do justice is a good thing. But what is justice? In the Bible, the Hebrew word is mishpat. Uh, my Bible software says that this word is used 422 times in the Old Testament. Mishpat is all over the Bible. 
But you often don't always see it translated as justice. Sometimes it's translated as righteous or right or judgment or cause or reign. So it'd be a good thing for us to study it, wouldn't it? The basic meaning of justice is this, to give people their due. Justice is to give people their due. Now, there's two aspects of justice. There's negative and positive. There's punitive and restorative. First, the negative, the punitive. You know, this is what we often think of when we think of, when we hear the word justice. You know, when people are doing something wrong, you need to stop them and punish them, right? I mean, if you let people continue to do bad things and you never punish them, well, then you just aren't doing justice. Imagine if a, you're a teacher and you, and you see a child being bullied on the playground at recess. Um, what's the right thing to do? Well, you need to stop the bully and punish the bully. Now, we perhaps disagree on what the punishment should be, how much, or, or what we should do, but we all agree um, that you should stop the act and punish the perpetrator. So justice has this punitive sense to it, the stopping and the punishing of the evildoers. But we must also see that justice has another side, and we will spend most of our time there this morning. The other side is a positive side. It's a restorative side. See, justice means to give people their due, and not just to give um, the unjust their due, but also those who suffer injustice. We're to give them their due. We see this everywhere in Scripture. Proverbs 31.9 says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. That, that judge righteously, that's mishpat. God says in his word that we're to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. All throughout the Bible, what we see is the kind of four categories of people that um, when it relates to doing justice, we see these four groups. There's the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. We see this all throughout Scripture. But one place we see it, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So justice is restorative in the sense that we are to care for the poor and the vulnerable around us. Question is, do we have eyes to see the poor and the vulnerable around us? Do we see how the divorce epidemic has left many women to fend for themselves? Typically, when a man leaves his wife, he takes his paycheck with him, and he leaves her and the kids to fend for themselves. Or consider the poor among us. Poverty is like an endless cycle. Those who are poor raise their children in poverty, and the children often become adults who what? Live in poverty. Now, we get we may disagree on how we actually combat poverty, but the fundamental question that must challenge our hearts this morning is, do we have eyes to see the injustice that is all around us? And not just see the injustice, but do our hearts truly grieve over it? Restorative justice includes not doing harm, but it's more than that. It's not enough to ask, have I done anything to harm the poor and the vulnerable? No, that's not enough. 
we must ask, am I doing anything to actively relieve the disadvantage? Do we actively care for the vulnerable in society? See, all throughout Scripture, the people of God are called to give people their due. And the vulnerable among us need us to deliver restorative justice to them. We are to lift up the oppressed. We are to care for the vulnerable in society. What does that look like? A great place to look to see what that looks like is the book of Job, where we see the life of Job being chronicled. Now, Job was a very wealthy man, but he walked humbly before the Lord, and he loved kindness. He was a doer of justice. The problem for Job, though, was when extreme suffering came into his life, and he believed that God was treating him unjustly. And so he cries out. Here's what we read in Job 29. See if you can pick up on the restorative and then the the punitive justice in Job's words. Here's what he says. I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. And I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Job says, I put on righteousness. That's that word, justice, mishpat. What was it? He says, it was my robe and my turban. What is he saying there? He's saying, he's saying from head to toe, I live out mishpat. My life is a life of bringing justice, retributive justice as well as restorative justice. I'll break the fangs of the wrongdoers and condemn him. But more than that, Job says he delivered the poor, cared for the widows. Job, Job was eyes for the blind. He was a father of the needy. What a great picture for us to see. In Job chapter 1, he cries out and he says this, If I have denied Mishpat to my servants, if I had withheld anything, anything that the poor needed, if I had eaten my food alone and not shared it with the fatherless, if there were ever any sojourner out in the street who did not get invited into my home, then there would be iniquity and transgression in my heart, And you, God, would be right to judge me. Do you see what Job is saying? If I had ever neglected the vulnerable, if I had not actively promoted the welfare of the vulnerable and the poor around me, then it would be a sin against my God. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Job is redefining justice for us. To not wear justice as your robe and turban is to live in sin. Proverbs 31 says, Listen, whoever oppresses the poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors God. We dishonor God, our maker, when we take lightly the needs of others in our midst. 
It is a sin to ignore the needs of those around us who are made in God's image. Justice, my friends, is good. That's the goodness of justice, not for the reflection of justice. Here's what we need to see. Our God is a God of justice. So we should reflect His justice in our lives. You know, the, begin, the biblical story of mankind is, uh, begins with us, mankind, being made in God's image with the mandate to, to fill the world, um, the earth, and subdue it, to rule over creation as God's vice regents, as princes and princesses upon the earth, to manifest God's goodness on the earth, all for His glory. See, we are the creature, He is the creator, and we're to find our, our purpose uh, in our lives as we, as we walk before Him each day. Obviously, though, this is not how mankind tends to live on earth today. But Micah, did you notice in the first part of verse 8, he points us back to our creatureliness, right? He says, he, he being God, he has told you or or shown you. And he says, oh, man, oh, you creature. Uh, The the word in Hebrew is Adam. It means uh, earth. But it's, the, it's also Adam's name, uh, man of earth. He's saying, he has told you, he's shown you, creature, man who's been created by God. He's, he has told you, he's shown you uh, that he is self, God himself is, is good and just and loving and kind. He's been this way towards you. He's shown it to you. We are to, we are to be like our creator regards to justice you know but many people around the world would you know would who would say that you know i care a lot about justice they would say that caring for the poor is good ethics right and as christians we would agree with that it's good ethics to have eyes for the needs of of those in our community and to do something but being a people who wear justice as a robe and a turban is desirable, not just because we agree that this is good ethics. No, we want to reflect the good character of our Creator who made us in His image. Our God is a God of justice. Therefore, we are to reflect that in how we live our lives. Now, Tim Keller, who I'm in a bit indebted to this morning, on, this morning on some things, makes this important observation. In all the passages of the Bible, pretty much all of them, where God speaks of, of this type of justice, of care for the poor and the needy, the marginalized, they typically begin with a statement about God's power and majesty and glory and might. Take, for instance, that Deuteronomy 10 passage I read earlier. First, the declaration of God's almighty power. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. There's the power. Now, what does God use his power for? It says, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God, uh, the Almighty, the all-powerful, supreme God of all creations, uses his power to lift the poor and the vulnerable. 
This is not how the powerful on earth tend to operate, is it? How do the powerful and wealthy tend to use their wealth and power? To lift and protect themselves. Here we see that God has shown us, oh man, what is good. God uses his power not to line the pockets of the kings and princes. God uses his power to be a father of the fatherless. God doesn't work for the people at the top. God says, I have all the power, but I love to exercise it on behalf of the people on the bottom. What does that mean for us? A number of things. You know, God does many things in this world, thankfully, besides just caring for the poor and the vulnerable, yet it's part of who he is. He is grace to the powerless. He's a defender of those who are weak. And so as Christians, we have many other things that we should be doing in the few years that we get to walk on this earth. Things like doing evangelism and making disciples, all important things. Yet at the same time, we are to be famous for our work with the poor and the disadvantaged. It's to be something for which we are known. Remember when Jesus was speaking with his disciples, he said that, we, that, that his followers are to be um, so full of good deeds that, that, that people around them, though they perhaps don't believe in God, would look at those good works and do what? Glorify God who is in heaven. This also tells us that we are to be a word and deed church. You know, too many churches are one or the other. Too many conservative churches are all word, but no deed. They'll tell unbelievers what they must do in order to repent and believe. They're all word, but they bring very little relief to the poor and vulnerable. And then there are the liberal churches. They've abandoned the truth of the gospel for the most part. They deny the virgin birth. They deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They will not say that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, but they will work hard for social justice. Now, do you know what part of our core values are here at Grace Church? If you're in the membership class, you've read those this last few weeks. But um, we are to be, Grace Church is to be both a word and a deed church. Because why? Because God is a word and deed God. Jesus is a word and deed Savior. And we are being remade in God's image to reflect those characters. So it's not enough for us to share our faith by doing evangelism. If that's all we do, if all we do is go out and tell people about Jesus, people tend to see us doing what? Just recruiting. You know, we're recruiting. But as Keller states, but when they see us pouring ourselves out for the poor, they get a glimpse of the glory of God. See, most non-Christians on the East Ends have, have filters or lenses by which they look at Christianity and by which they evaluate Christians. And with these filters, lenses, they, they cannot really see truly or rightly. They make a lot of errors. But it's almost as like caring for the poor shows people the character of God. And in doing so, this kind of blasts through those filters. Let me ask you, is Grace Presbyterian Church famous for her justice in the community? I think we've begun some amazing work in our community. Our serve team is really helping us to live with love and compassion for the poor and the vulnerable around us. 
But I believe we're kind of just beginning to put on our robe and turban in this regard. That's the goodness and the reflection. Now for the power for justice. And here's kind of the big idea. To really live lives of justice, like what we're talking about, requires a power from God. By this point in the sermon, we should all have some thoughts running in our heads. Like, I think we would all affirm that it is uh, is good to be a person of justice. We agree that God has shown us what is good and what he requires of us. I think we all want to wear uh, a robe and turban of justice. We want to have eyes to see the injustice around us and not just sit idly by. I think we can all affirm that, right? The question then is, how can we become the person we know we should be with regards to justice? Our text gives us some clues. Micah says that we're to, we're to love kindness, um, that we're to walk humbly with our God. The kindness that we see in God, that is his grace and his mercy towards us, that's to be our rallying point. So to our position before him, we are to humble ourselves and walk with him. In other words, we're to live lives of of devotion and and praise. And isn't it true, the the things that you're devoted to, the things that you tend to praise, are those not the things that captivate your your mind and your heart? Are are they not the things that like motivate you in your life? See, what you praise ends up shaping you, your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, your actions. For instance, if there's a great TV series that you like, you're going to be devoted to it and watch every episode, and you're going to praise it to all of your friends. Take, for instance, the Amazon series, Stranger Things. Leslie and I got sucked into Stranger Things. We became devoted to it, and we praise this story. Of course, the season two came out this weekend. She was at a women's retreat. And so, of course, I didn't watch it, but maybe, I don't know, we don't have time to binge it tonight, but maybe we'll watch an episode, episode or two. But the thing is, we, whatever captures your heart and receives your devotion and praise, it is those things that motivate you. And there is no greater good or source of delight for the human creature than God. God alone is worthy of our ultimate devotion and praise, Right? It's far better than Stranger Things. <laughs> to have a relationship with Him is joy and delight. And so if you and I desire to see our hearts grow in the area of doing justice, then it begins with devotion and praise to our God in whom there, in whom there is perfection of justice. But even then, it's not enough, Right? You know, it's good to be excited about God's love and grace and on Sunday mornings to lift our hands and and sing uh, praises to God. It's good to get excited and worship the God of love and kindness. But there's a point we cannot skip over, we cannot ignore. God is a God of justice who demands that you love your neighbor as yourself or be punished. It's a terrifying thought. God is is a God of justice, both positively and negatively. And the more humble we are, the more we come to realize that I am not one who cares for others very well. 
And I cannot imagine God's right to judge me. I just can't imagine it away. Remember when Jesus uh, was in the Sermon on the Mount, discussed what it's kind of what it's like to 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 love your neighbor as yourself. The things he spoke about are really quite scary if you really think about them. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is beautiful, but it's also convicting, right? Jesus, for instance, said this, You've heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say, if you are angry at your brother, if you even so much call him a fool, you are liable to the fires of hell. Jesus is taking murder to a whole new level. You know, I don't think any one of us here has ever physically killed another person. At least I hope not. Um... But I would guess that all of us have cursed another person. How can Jesus say cursing someone equates to violating God's command not to murder? Because isn't it true when you call someone a fool or an idiot or a piece of crud or a son of crud, um, you're wishing that they didn't exist at that moment on earth, right? In other words, these are pre-murderous thoughts in your head. Jesus wants us to see that all of our anger at others, all of our calling people's names, contributes to all of the injustice in this world. We're part of the problem. And so the big question that Keller and others ask is this, how can we adore and praise a God of justice when we know that means we should be condemned? How can you worship a God of justice when you know that his justice means that you should be punished? Thankfully, God is a God who loves kindness. Other Bibles translate that mercy. God loves kindness, mercy. It's because that God loves kindness and mercy that you and I can experience God's restorative justice instead of his punitive justice. The good news from God in heaven is that he worked out a way for guilty people to be forgiven. Jesus entered this world so that we can have our consciences truly cleansed of all our sin. Even the sin of lacking empathy for others and making their concerns our concerns. Do you remember in Luke chapter 4, when, right when Jesus was kind of beginning his earthly ministry, and he was seated in the synagogue, and as was customary, he was, uh, as someone who was seen as a teacher, he was handed a scroll from which to read and to teach. Now, do you remember what scroll he was handed? It was of a prophet. Uh, no, it wasn't Micah. It was Isaiah. Now, all of the Old Testament, as you come to understand, is really speaking about Jesus, the one to come, the one who's going to deliver us, God's big hero of God's big story, this Messiah. Including, if you, if you look at the, the prophecy of Isaiah, there's so many places you could go to that if you were Jesus and you knew they all fulfilled you, you could have gone to them. Maybe uh, Isaiah 52 or 53, the suffering servant who, who died for our iniquities. But where does Jesus go? He unrolls the scroll, you know, and now they didn't have the, the verses and the chapter numbers, right? In fact, so those are kind of a new thing. I don't know if you knew that. But Jesus was looking along. He's like, all right, all right, okay, okay, all right. And he gets to Isaiah 61. Here's what Isaiah 61 says in Isaiah. This is what it says. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to what? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening up of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So far, it's all restorative, right? But now the punitive. And the day of vengeance of our God. Here we see two sides of justice, the favor and the vengeance, the restorative and the punitive. Bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, give liberty to captives, open prisons for those who are wrongly accused, not rightly accused, that's what he's talking about, and to proclaim uh, the year of Yahweh's favor, proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. In the original passage, we see both the punitive and the restorative aspects of justice. Now, but something interesting happened when Jesus opened up the scroll and read from it. Do you recall what it was? When Jesus read from the scroll, he stopped right before the punitive parts of that passage. Why did Jesus stop before the judgment part? Because Jesus didn't come to bring judgment. He came to take judgment. When Jesus went to the cross, he took upon himself the judgment we deserve. God's judgment for our lack of love for others. Yeah, it's on Jesus on the cross. God's judgment for our lack of empathy for needs of the others, of others. It's, it's on the cross on Jesus. God's judgment for our hoarding of possessions when we could give to others in need. It's on Jesus on the cross. God's good and righteous punitive justice for all mankind landed on Jesus Christ. And therefore, for all who look to Christ, you have to make him your object of your attention and affection. To all who look to Christ and see him as their stand-in, their, their mediator. To all who do that, there is now forgiveness and acceptance from God. This day and onwards. On that day when Jesus read that scroll, he knew what was coming. He had a reason why he stopped there. He knew that in three years he was going to the cross. He knew that he was the one that was anointed by his heavenly father to do for us what we were powerless to do for ourselves. And now because of the cross, you and I can have the power for living lives of justice that please God. Notice I said lives of justice that Please, God. There are many today, you'll see them on Facebook and all around with signs, all angry, who talk about justice. But have you noticed how usually those who are the loudest proponents of justice are often the most condemning, harsh, bitter, and angry? They're harsh towards anyone and everyone who doesn't march to, to their particular beat. And they'll shout down anyone who doesn't agree with them 100%. The people who seem to care most about injustice are incredibly harsh and self-righteous. You notice that, right? So there's plenty of people who don't care at all about justice, and there's plenty who do, and then there's Christians. 
See, the cross tells us two important things. It tells us, one, that justice is absolutely important. God cannot set aside the demands of his justice. And so the Christian knows that he or she can't set aside justice. It's such an important thing that Jesus had to die for it. But also at the same time, Christians look at the cross and we see that we were the perpetrators of injustice. Continuing Keller's thoughts, he says, ultimate injustice is that we have not treated God as we should, right? God has given mankind everything. And we live as if it belongs to ourselves. It's a cosmic form of treason. God gave us everything and we lived as if if we belonged to ourselves. And God forgave us of that. The cross tells us that justice is important, but it also tells us that you have been forgiven. And because you have been forgiven and because you were a perpetrator of injustice and God forgave you, then that sends you into the world with a unique balance, does it not? How so? So you got on the one hand, knowing that justice is important to God, and on the other hand, you will be gracious. You'll be humble, you will love kindness and mercy, and you won't get haughty. You'll be insistent, you will push for justice, but you will do it in love. The cross makes you serious about injustice, but sends you out with a merciful, humble attitude. As you wear the robe and turban of justice, you will walk humbly with your God as one who loves kindness. And so, Christian, your power to live this life of justice-seeking comes from the cross. The more time you spend there marveling at the cross, the more of a worshiper of God you become, one who praises him, one who finds his hopes and dreams and life and everything and who God is and what he is doing. And the more you become like your heavenly father who cares for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the sojourner. That's where the power for justice comes from. Jesus came not to bring God's vengeance. He came to bear it. And if that gets into your heart, it'll turn you into a gracious agent for justice in our world. We will be a people who wear justice as a robe and a turban. Let's pray. Father, we must confess every time we study your word and we consider who you are, we are blown away. You aren't some little tiny God we can pigeonhole into what we want to think about you. Rather, you're the great and glorious, majestic, almighty creator of all things. And yes, you use your power to lift the poor and to care for those who are disadvantaged. Including all of us here, we're sinners in need of your constant grace. We thank you that this is who you are. May we come alive to your gospel. May we be people of the cross um, who are all about justice and, and do it with great love and kindness and compassion as we walk humbly before you, we pray. Amen.